Hey, Bobo, how you doing, man? Oh, God, you scared the hell out of me, Cliff. I was going to say the same thing to you. You look terrifying. What's so different about you? Dude, you're freaking me out right now, Cliff. What's going on? Oh, you know what it is? It's your shirt. You have a new Bigfoot and Beyond Halloween special with Cliff and Bobo's shirt? Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's the Bigfoot and Beyond the Grave t-shirts with Cliffhanger and Boo-Bo. Ooh, that's why I was so scared. You were wearing that shirt, and that scary mask didn't help either. I'm not wearing a mask. Oh, you look great, Cliff. Thanks, Bubs. Right now, for a limited time only, this October until Halloween, you can buy the Bigfoot and Beyond the Grave t-shirt with Cliffhanger and Boo Bo. This is going to be a collector's item. We're not going to do this again next year. This is the only time you can get this design of this shirt. So go to sasquatchprints.com and go to the Bigfoot and Beyond tab, and you're going to see this shirt, and you can buy this shirt, but check it out. This is even cooler. You can also buy a hoodie. So this design on a t-shirt or a hoodie, your choice, sasquatchprints.com. Go get it now because they're not going to be here forever. (laughs) You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot. The Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology. The Chip and Dale of Bigfoot. And I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Good morning, Bobo. How you doing today? All right. How you doing, Cliff? I'm doing all right for the most part. Nothing terrible has happened, but of course the day is early. We'll see what happens <laughs> later. <laughs> Squatcher's law. Exactly. Murphy's law. Murphy's Law. Well, uh, I think we have a pretty cool show today. Um, it's a little out of the ordinary because usually we're talking to these uh, older folks, you know, like these these uh, elder statesmen of Bigfoot or witnesses and that sort of thing. But I thought we'd change it up a little bit and kind of talk to one of the sort of like r- rising stars, perhaps, of cryptozoology in general. My attention was drawn to his work at first because he basically posted some really cool, interesting things on Twitter. So I started following him and whatever, and I, I thought that was really cool. And then later I got to meet this, this young gentleman. Um, and, uh, well, I guess I'm, I'm blabbing on and on about it, but I'd rather listen to him blab on about what he's been doing lately. He, uh, so, Bobo, have you met Thomas Morgan yet? Because if you haven't, here he is. Welcome, Thomas. Hello. I've been aware of you since uh, you were about 10 years old. Cliff turned me on to you, and he would, he'd always say, you got to check out this kid on Twitter. you got to check out this kid on Twitter. I didn't go on Twitter that much. So I go and check it out. I'm like, this kid's smart and funny. He's cool. I, have, I think the first thing you said to me when I actually met you was, you're the Bigfoot kid. And I have been referred to the Bigfoot kid by many different people. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm primarily known for just my Twitter account. Uh, but I recently launched uh, a website, uh, which is superbugtom.com. Yeah, I checked it out. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so it, it has like cryptozoology stuff, but I think it also has, uh, you know, other uh, topics. Like um, it has stuff on like other interests that are not really cryptid or Bigfoot related. Yeah, because your name says it all. You're in the bugs. You're on, in all kinds of nature and natural stuff. Yeah. I mean, Bigfoot's probably my famous, my favorite cryptid, um, and I'd say I probably know the most about it. But 
I, I am not necessarily specifically Bigfoot focused, uh, but I probably know the most about it uh, out of all of my interests. Well, it's good to be balanced. I think, you know, uh, too many people get into the, the Bigfoot thing. That's all they do. And that's not, that's not necessarily a healthy way to live. You know, you have to have some sort of balance. Uh, but Thomas, um, Bubba said he's known you for a number of years since what, you're 10 years old. How old are you now? Uh, I am 16 years old. Yeah, I think that's right. You were, you kind of represent the next generation of cryptozoologists that are coming up. It's a heavy burden. He's more like two generations behind us. Probably. Yeah. I forget how old, how old we are sometimes, Bobes. Yeah. Right. We're the, Lauren Coleman referred to us as the elder statesman. It's like, oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Thomas, what, what got you into all this anyway? I mean, just TV or what? With, the paranormal and stuff like that specifically, I probably started with Bigfoot. I'd probably actually say finding Bigfoot, but that was when it like first aired in like, I think was it 2011. Uh, so I was really interested in that. So I was really young in 2011. I mean, younger than I already am. <laughs> so I remember when the first time I saw it, when there was like the CG recreations, I was like, man, that's some good footage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but later I became interested in other topics. I mean, I used to be interested in other paranormal topics, like just other kind of mysterious stuff, but I'm almost entirely interested in like cryptozoology and more like scientifically grounded stuff. You know, the first major book that I had that like had a lot of interesting cryptid info uh, is the unexplained, uh, which was, which is a very cliche name, but uh, it was a book by Carl P. N. Schuker. Have you heard of him? Sure. Yeah. I have the book. Yeah. He's uh, yeah, he's British. Uh, and that made me interested in a lot of other cryptids because it, introduced me to other things. Uh, uh, so it has stuff on various different cryptids. You know, it showed me other unknown primates as well, which I haven't heard of because of course I knew about Bigfoot and the Yeti because that's just common knowledge. Everyone kind of has heard of that, but other things like the, uh, Almas and the Yowie and, uh, the Yaren. Yeah. I, I, I have a, not a very good memory, so it's kind of hard for me to remember what really got me into cryptozoology, but I definitely say the unexplained, uh, and yeah, and I always like making PowerPoints, uh, <laughs> weirdly enough. So I have like PowerPoints about cryptids that are like hundreds of slides long with like three paragraphs on each slide about different things. Well, I saw one of those on your website when I was perusing it earlier this morning. Yeah. Uh, which one was it? The cryptid one? I, I think it was. Yeah. 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 So I've, I've sorted it by region. So I have Canada, but I also have Australia the South Pacific. So that's just everything besides Australia, New Guinea, New Guinea, uh, Southeast Asia, Europe, that kind of thing. Now you said you got into a lot of different sort of paranormal things, but you, you were, you were always kind of pulled towards the cryptozoological stuff. Um, what made you go away from those other things? Is it just a lack of physical evidence or is it a lack of, ver- uh, being able to be verified or, or what, what, what was it for you? I I think it's that cryptozoology, scientifically speaking, is a lot more like plausible than UFOs. I mean, UFOs exist in the sense of that there is unexplained meteorological phenomena. Obviously, no one really disagrees with that. Uh, but there have been cryptids that be, turned out to be real that were discovered. Uh, but of course, no one's ever found um, an actual flying saucer or something. Like, you know, it was the the first European scientist to see a panda was in 1916, I think. Uh, 
It was in the 20s with Komodo dragons. It was 1902 with mountain gorillas. And, and there's others that are like way, way more recent. Uh, have you heard of the Bondega Zoo? It was a species of tree kangaroo. And there was a tribe in the highlands in, in uh, western New Guinea, uh, and they worshipped it as a god. And for a very long time, it was thought of as an entirely mythological spirit, but it turned out to be an unknown species of tree kangaroo, which is quite interesting. Well, that's how it often goes, though, as you well know, that, uh, you know, people who say, well, I don't know if this animal exists. Well, you talk to the indigenous people of the area and they know what's up. That's, I think, in my opinion, one of the most intriguing things is how unbelievably consistent it is, because it's not just, you know, a specific culture reporting it. Because, yes, of course, like there's going to be some white redneck in their trailer who's like, I saw one in Alabama or whatever, like a stereotypical thing. But it's in almost every single indigenous culture and contrary to uh, unfortunately popular belief, it is not one culture. There is hundreds of different languages of their different beliefs and traditions and culture, and they all report literally the same thing. The only difference being, you know, the name, like there's the famous hairy man pictograph, which I think is in the tool river reservation near me uh, in Ontario uh, is the Ojibwe people and they call it Sabe, which means wild person. Uh, I live near a series of a giant rock with like tons of pictographs and there's no, not pictographs, two petroglyphs of Sabe on it. And it's doing literally the same position. Like, it, you know how it's kind of like, it's got its arms out. Like it's doing like that kind of stereotypical bluff charge. Right. Um, it's not quite as detailed. It's, it's like a, more like a stick figure. But it's so remarkably consistent, right? Like, like there's a tribe in BC. I don't. I think it might be the Okanagan or a tribe in that kind of area, who describe it as having its eyes sunken in its head and it has a really big brow. And then the Cherokee, who are like thousands and thousands of kilometers away, call it the Jewel Kalu, which means the sloping eyed giant, and they report it having the same extremely specific feature. And if you look at a lot of uh, indigenous art whether it's in Peterborough or whether it's a Pacific Northwest thing, like uh, those Kwakwakiwak masks with the Chunakwa, yeah, or the Tool River Reservation, they all depict it as like remarkably simian, which of course they couldn't have known because a lot of them, a lot of it is pre-Columbian and there are no uh, apes in uh, the United States or Canada. There's no primates other than humans in the United States and Canada. Yeah, that was one of the earliest things that kind of turned my head around. Like when I was uh, uh, much younger, of course, and starting starting to read as much as I could about the you know Bigfoot stuff, you know evidence, etc. When I stumbled across the the idea or the fact, really, that every indigenous tribe in North America has that lives in suitable habitat has stories of these things, you know, like living outside of their villages and whatnot, and they are uniformly described. And sure, like you said, they have different names, but they're reported to do the same stuff behaviorally. Um, I started thinking like, well, what's the alternative here? Like if there isn't a biological reality behind that, what is the alternative? I mean, it, it would have to be like, well, we're, they're anticipating this genocidal wave coming from Europe, you know? So, Hey, let's get it. Let's, let's pull one over on them before they show up. But like what, what other, I, I don't, don't, to me, man, skeptics have a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> they do. Uh, I think maybe it's. Explain it, Thomas. <laughs> if, if it's not a biological thing, which I doubt, I'm like 95% sure it's a real species, probably some kind of uh, great ape, almost actually almost certainly a great ape. Uh, maybe it's some kind of like weird 
archetype maybe like like a psychological thing like how there's like some reoccurring things in different cultures even though they wouldn't have contacted each other do you know what i mean like the idea of like a serpent yeah like jungian kind of stuff i th- i think it's probably some kind of unknown species of primate i would probably go with paranthropus or meganthropus maybe uh but there's no way to know and of course the fossil record is not super complete so it's just the closest stuff we got currently stay tuned for more bigfoot and beyond with cliff and bobo we'll be right back after these messages winning season returns at my bookie winning season means doubling your first deposit winning season means insane props epic bonuses and the craziest cross sport wagers at my bookie Winning season means watching live sports and betting live sports all season long. Rejoice! Rejoice! The NFL has returned. That means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes. Get in on the action. Use promo code BIGFOOT and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play. Designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best this NFL season for your chance to win big. Use promo code BIGFOOT and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at my bookie. So, uh, now you live out there in Ontario, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Do you follow up on reports as they come in to you from that area? Not until extremely recently. When I posted my website, I've gotten tons of different sightings uh, and stuff. Some even sent me a video. It's not very clear or anything, but honestly, it's one of those things where it's that the video is not very convincing. Like it's, it's, you know, a blob squatch, but the sighting itself, he clearly saw a lot more than what's in the video. Cause it's a dash cam. It's not like it's going to zoom in and focus on a specific thing. Right. It's on the side of a road, uh, North of me. Uh, yeah, I, there's tons of reports around where I live, which is kind of on the barrier between, uh, the Canadian shield, like the southernmost part of the Canadian shield North of Peterborough. And there's been tons of stuff around where I live. Like it's in the petroglyphs, but I've, I've heard of reports uh, in other areas, like in Halliburton, uh, in Bancroft and a bunch of other places like that. Uh, there is a first nations uh, reservation uh, near where I live called curve Lake first station. Uh, and they've had a lot of interesting sightings. Uh, I've heard of a guy who, after a powwow, they have an annual powwow. After the powwow, they're having like a barbecue. And in the tree line, they could see this giant figure just in the tree line watching them. Presumably, it was it wanted the barbecue. Um, and as soon as they pointed it out and said, hey, look, a saw bear or whatever, uh, it just kind of walked away into the woods. But they said it was like... It was, it was like Shaquille O'Neal on steroids. Like it was like seven or more feet tall and it was unbelievably wide. I've heard of reports in the same place of um, a woman who saw a Bigfoot stealing tomatoes in her garden and it leaped over like a five and a half foot fence, you know, uh, stuff like that. Like it's remarkably um, consistent and widespread. It's quite interesting. I live by a lake and on the same lake, there was a guy who said in his property, which is on the same lake, he believes there's a Bigfoot there. And I went to that spot and I am 50% sure I heard wood knocks. And it wasn't just me. It was my mom and my grandmother who were also there. And they also all heard it. I didn't know you had a run in possibly. When was that? Literally like less than a month ago. 
like a couple weeks ago. I've I've never like observed one. I've I've heard things. Uh, like when I went to CryptidCon and I and I was in uh, the woods in Kentucky. I think it was it was the last time you saw me. It was that CryptidCon. So I think it was 2017 or 2018. And I heard uh, a howl. Although of course, again, it's hard to tell and it's just anecdotal, but it is quite interesting, at least to me. What do you think is the most underrated uh, piece of Bigfoot evidence? I'll just throw the top of my head, maybe the uh, hairy man pictograph, maybe. Yeah, I think that, uh, as far as a bucket goes, the bucket full of native accounts and um, drawings and things. Skeptics don't often attack that because they don't have an explanation for it. I, I've heard people who've said that the first Bigfoot sighting was in 1958 because that's when the word Bigfoot was invented, which is such a massive misunderstanding. I, uh, do you know the uh, historical Bigfoot book series by, uh, I think, Chad Arment? Yeah, where he's cataloged all these uh, newspaper accounts that go into like the 1820s. And then when you go even further back, a lot of like the first explorers who've been to North America, like the first European explorers in North America reported stuff. I think it was Hernando de Soto who, who reported the like giant monkeys in what is now Florida, stuff like that. I, in my opinion, I'd say the most underrated thing uh, is probably the uh, Skookum cast. And it was recent, and it was recent until it was the twentieth anniversary, right? Yeah, the twentieth anniversary was literally two days ago at, during this recording. This uh, we're recording on the uh, September twenty fourth, and it was taken on September twenty second, two thousand. But a lot of people say it's an elk lay, you know. So there's this controversy there that's never really been laid to rest, which is unfortunate. Um, but then again, the elk experts that were consulted they say it's not an elk lay. But I guess these, uh, you know. These other people feel they know better, which maybe it's true, but I doubt it. And actually, uh, if the plague wasn't here right now, you know, if we weren't dealing with this whole COVID thing, we actually made some arrangements, uh, or at least uh, initial arrangements and conversations to have the Skookum cast on display here at the North American Bigfoot Center. But uh, we're kind of putting that on hold. Uh, A friend of mine reached out to Rick Knoll and uh, and kind of paved the way. So I just need to reach out to Rick myself. but yeah, yeah, we were supposed to have that on display here at the museum, hopefully this past or this past summer. But then the plague descended upon us, and we had to deal with other things. So, so Thomas, what do you, what do you think of some of the um, the more uh, mainstream, I guess, Bigfoot pieces of evidence, like the Patterson Gimlin film? Do you have? What are, I'm just gonna gonna shoot things at you, and you can give me your thoughts on these things as we go. The Patterson Gimlin film. Uh, this is the world's most like uh, as as the kids would say, a cold take. It's the most obvious popular opinion it's probably the best bigfoot video or the best footage of bigfoot at least in my opinion uh i i I think it's the most convincing because it's clear enough and it's also in a clearing so you can see like the muscles move and you can see like the fat move as it steps down stuff like that i think that's really interesting how you can see like the muscles and the shins and the hair and you can see like how it's, you can see its fingers move. Like uh, if you look at a lot of MK Davis's stuff, of course you can see how in a lot of the stabilized stuff, you can see like, you know, it's like its lips move or it blink or, you know, like stuff like that. It's crazy. And it's also interesting is of course the body ratios are so radically different to a person, right? You've probably noticed that where it's that uh, a human's, uh, legs are 20% uh, longer than uh, their arms, but Patty's is Patty's arms are 5% longer than its legs. And of course, a stereotypical kind of uh, Bigfoot skeptic would say it's arm extensions, but of course, arm extensions, if 
and if, and this is not arm extensions. This is 1967, like Planet of the Apes, bad Hollywood stuff. Uh, of course, it can't move your elbows. It can't move your joints, and it couldn't make its fingers move independently. Do, do we know exactly how how big Patty is? Because I've heard people say it's about the size of a person. I've heard people say it's like seven foot six. It's about six four. Yeah, uh, she's between six and six and a half feet tall, somewhere in there. And there's really no two ways about it. I know there was a uh, North American Science Institute study with Glickman and all those guys that said it was seven foot, three and a half inches tall. But that, that is, there's just no way that can fit the model. And Krantz really goes in depth, in, into depth about that in the second edition of his book. Um, his first edition was called uh, Big Footprints, and the second was called Bigfoot Sasquatch Evidence, which is the same book, but with an addendum at the back. Um, and one of the uh, chapters in the, in the new part deals with that claim that the thing, this thing is over seven feet tall. But um, the, the way Patty walks, uh, her trailing leg reaches 90 degrees to the ground with every step, and we know how big her feet are. So you can just pile up her feet one on top of one another. And then he even goes, uh, his critics said, well, yeah, but the foot is like closer to the camera, and that's going to set things off. That's going to change things. He even addresses that as like, okay, well, maybe her leg is, uh, or the bottom part of her leg underneath her knee is maybe three feet long. So that's an 18% difference. And he, he goes into it in depth, but the seven foot range is completely out of the picture based on what we know, the facts from the film site. Um, and the best guess at this point, and I've even, I've even talked to Munns about this. Uh, the best guess right now is she is between six and six and a half feet tall. Um, and to further that, one of the displays we have at the North American Bigfoot Center, and I got permission from Eric DeHinden to use one of those frames in the film uh, because, you know, he owns or he and his brother own all of the still frames in the footage except for 352 in black and white. So I called Eric and he let me use that frame where Patty has one of the feet out. And what I did is I took that and I blew it up and I mounted a cast uh, of the foot itself next to the foot. And until so the picture is the same size, the picture of the foot is the same size as the cast, or at least the foot part of the cast, because there's some overflow. Um, and it shows very clearly, like she is about six foot plus a little bit while she's walking, which is her walking height, which is different than her standing height. And but man, she is not human shaped. Like we have a life size picture of her. She is not human shaped in, in the most remote sense of the word. Yeah, it can't be a mask because a human head wouldn't fit. Into the mask of where the shoulders are, and well, mine shows it. Do you think Bigfoot buried their dead? Oh yeah, I'm convinced, hundred percent. See, I'm on the other side. I don't think so. They might, but I don't. I just don't think so. I could agree with you, Cliff, but then we'd both be wrong. <laughs> well, you know, elephants, you know, cover their dead, and and oddly enough, elephants also cover dead humans when they run across them as well, but not other animals. So that's kind of an interesting perspective there. Um, it's entirely possible they do or, you know, uh, but maybe burial is too strong of a word also. Maybe it's not true burial. Maybe it's something with the elephants do, just cover cover the bodies with brush and leaves and all that other stuff. Um, they don't dig a hole and shove it in. You know, they just kind of cover it up with stuff. Maybe they do something like that. But I also don't think that explanation is necessary to explain the lack of a body either. No, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, because, of course, you know, you never see a cougar carcass in the woods. You never see a black bear carcass in the woods. And it's the same reason. Usually whenever a large animal dies, of course, scavengers are going to scatter the bones away. And there's going to be, you know, like minor floods and it's going to rain. And like there's so many, so much stuff happening. 
Yeah, I, I think it's the the chimp fossil record, or at least the ancestors of modern day chimps is like a couple teeth, and they were all found on the same site. So I think it was in Meldrum's book. He has a photograph of uh, um, chimp fossils, so that I, and I oh, I'd have to go back and double, you always double check what I say here. But I think it was in two thousand six that the first fossils were found. That's what I'm talking about. There you go. Out of cryptids beside Bigfoot. Uh, which one would you say is the most like likely to exist? Well, I think you should answer that question first. Okay. You are the guest yeah. after all, right? I am the guest. I'm kind of switching it. I'll stop doing that. <laughs> Turn the tables on us here, Thomas. Yeah. Who do you think you are? Big, Bigfoot and beyond with Thomas? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'd say probably like a lot of cryptids in the sense that they're real animals, but they're just not in an area they're known to live in. Do you know what I mean? Like how people have reported like cougar populations in like, I don't know, uh, New York state or something uh, or cougars in North Carolina. Of course, there's really, really weird out there ones where it's like, I've seen platypi in Colorado, but, but like a lot of them seem like super genuine and it's not that, strange people have seen uh, elk in ontario near sault st marie which is uh on the upper peninsula of michigan border uh and it's thought that the last elk in ontario died out in the 1870s although some have been uh reintroduced none of them have been reintroduced into that area so that's quite strange <laughs> okay well what about dog man okay that's that's crap <laughs> there's, there's no truth to it in my opinion i think people who are seeing it listen kid not crap. You're stepping on Bobo's toes. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm straight. I'd, he deserves the okay, truth. I'd say, I'd say there's no biological evolutionary basis for it, but there are there are legitimate sightings of it. Yeah, I, I don't think everyone who is seeing it are like, you know, seeing a bear or are seeing uh, or lying or something. Uh, in my opinion, I'd say it's probably, uh, it could be hallucinations. It could be misidentified. I don't know what they'd be misidentifying, but at least in my, of, of what I know, there is nothing remotely in the fossil record that resembles essentially a werewolf. Uh, and it's also quite inconsistent with their reports because sometimes they're described as having pointed ears. Sometimes they have floppy ears. Sometimes they have a tail. Sometimes they don't. Do they have hawks on their legs like dogs or do they not? And if it is bipedal, uh, I've, I've seen people report dog man prints, which essentially resemble big wolf tracks. Uh, but if it is a bipedal animal that is actually like seven feet tall, it wouldn't have its feet wouldn't be shaped like a wolf's. It would need to be long, right? Because there are no bipedal animals in the fossil record that were heavy and had circular tracks. They all have long tracks and they are wide, right? Like uh, birds, uh, kangaroos, humans, extinct species of apes, uh, even um, like uh, jerboas, right? Uh, so if the dogman is real, I it's definitely not a biological thing. Uh, and of course that begs the question, what else is it? And I do not know. <laughs> well, yeah, it'd have to be paranormal. Some kind of weird, I, I don't, it, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a evolutionary creature at all. If there is some kind of spooky supernatural thing, the dogman would probably fit in it. I I'm personally try to be as like, you know, sciencey as possible. Of course I'm open to the idea and I'm, and I don't, and I'm not one of those people who are like, you said you've been abducted by aliens. You're a crazy idiot. You're stupid. <laughs> because people, Have you ever noticed that uh, in media, when they're talking about a Bigfoot, they're weirdly mean-spirited? 
Majority, but not all. Not all. Yes, that's true, too. Yeah. I've noticed with a lot of news things, uh, if someone sees a Bigfoot, uh, even if the sighting is not very remarkable, like, of course, there was like that lady who said you can you can like spray a liquid and it'll attract Bigfoot or something. Of course, you can probably make a joke there. But like if, if there's a guy who just says he saw a Bigfoot and there's nothing remarkable about his story, like he just saw it cross the road or something, they're going to be like they're going to constantly like reference Harry and the Hendersons or that he was drunk uh, or something like that. I think it's kind of weird. What about the thylacine? The thylacine's legit. I'd say the thylacine is still out there. Are they limited to uh, Tasmania or do they go to the mainland of Australia? I'd say they're in the mainland. I mean, most sightings are actually in the mainland. Only about a third of post-Benjamin 1930s sightings are in the mainland. Only about a third are in Tasmania. Like, a lot of those videos, right, are so convincing because... You know, the foxes have been introduced to Australia, and foxes with mange, of course, they're not as fluffy, so their tail is going to look kind of longer and thinner like a thylacine. Uh, but it doesn't explain with a lot of them, because a thylacine uh, don't just have the long, thin tail as an easy distinguishing feature. The hawks on their feet, which are like the, the joint, right, at the bottom, like just above their foot, uh, is way farther down than a fox. And you can see that in a lot of the videos. And of course, the stripes is obvious. Yeah, I'd say the thylacine is probably in the top five most likely to exist cryptids. Oh, for sure. I'd say top three easily. And uh, what's interesting is because Tasmania is obviously the, it's south of the mainland. And it's it's the coldest, most forested area of Australia. But the modern day reports where the real research is going on is up like in the Cape York Peninsula where it gets like tropical, like just brutal hot and there's actually a a uh, project going out there with 2,500 game cameras. They're putting in like in a very scientific pattern to cover, so these these things can't slink around. Uh, Forrest Gallant, who has that show on Animal Planet about crypto animals, he he did a um, he did a good episode on it, but he did a great interview on Joe Rogan about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd I'd say Forrest Gallant Forrest Gallante is like my favorite uh, post finding Bigfoot. Uh, kind of shut your brain off reality show thing. I don't know. He seems like a really nice dude. And he's, he's discovered two cryptids or rediscovered. Yeah, he's he's actually like legit found stuff, which is quite good. And usually, when a cryptid is discovered, it's not a brand new, never before never before seen species. It's usually a we thought this thing was extinct for a really long time, and then we rediscovered it. Like most recently, there was a species of elephant shrew called the Somali Sengi, and literally, there was literally no confirmed sightings for more than half a century, and then we randomly found it again. And it, and it's not just tiny things like an elephant shrew. Like there are like you know the Zanzibar leopard, which is what Forrest Galante found, uh, and other like much larger species. It was the Chaco and Peccary thought to went extinct in like the Pleistocene or something like way far back, like 10,000 or more years. It was rediscovered in the 60s. So, What's your feeling on the uh, surviving like ground sloths? Ground sloths are cool. And I, I think you pointed this out when you did the Amazon episode. Um, so the Amazon is unsurprisingly uh, really remote. There is a... I, I don't know if one one of my other interests that is not Bigfoot related are uncontacted tribes. So like entire 
tribes or bands of indigenous peoples, uh, usually in the Amazon and New Guinea, but also elsewhere, who have no uh, outside contact. And there is like more than a hundred of them in Brazil alone. So if we can't even contact hundreds of people in the Amazon, I wouldn't say it's that surprising that there's a really big ground sloth or something. And you know, in the Amazon where it's called the Mapinguari is confusing because there's that weird thing where there's like, people are seeing like an ape thing, but there's also people who are seeing a sloth, but they're both using the term Mapinguari. You, I think you notice that. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, and ground sloths haven't just been reported in the Amazon. They've been reported in Patagonia, uh, in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Uh, and even in the Yukon, have you heard of the, the beaver eater or the Satochin? Yeah, but I didn't think that was real. Yeah, I'm I'm not saying it's real or anything, but the British Columbia Scientific Cryptozoology Club, I think that's what it's called. Uh they did a study uh and it, I think it was the um Tachone people uh who are uh, an indigenous group in the Yukon. They've been reporting the ground sloth for a very long time. Uh the only inconsistency with that that I've noticed uh, is that they're thought of as eating beavers, but ground sloths are herbivorous. But besides that it's quite consistent, it's quite interesting. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. So, Thomas, are you kind of like a focal point, like a ringleader for young cryptozoologists that are getting into the, they can relate to you because you're, you know, you're a kid yourself. Did you find that? Uh, I hope so. Uh, I, I don't really think so, at least not yet. I, I don't know currently. But I do know there are a lot of other young people who are very interested in cryptozoology, especially on like uh, kind of more niche uh, social media stuff like uh, Tumblr and like Amino and stuff like that. There's uh, the Cryptid Wendigo on Tumblr. There's uh, the guy in the Pine Barrens Institute. He's not like young, young, but you know he's he's not like really old or anything. He's not like a uh, Lauren Coleman or whatever. I'm talking like under 18 and under. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't checked that much. You're probably better off not checking is what I find. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it seems that when, when you look for feedback, some, uh, the ones that stand out are always the ugliest, you know? So it just my advice is kind of ignore the feedback. Good or bad. I mean, let, let, let people say what they want to say, but, you know, um, but don't take much of it to heart, you know, good or bad. Just do it, do what you do because you love it. Don't do it for the reasons that, you know, of, of some sort of affirmation or something like that from the public. Thank you. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. It can get ugly out there and you take it in the bad stuff, the bad, the mean people out there, you know, they're the one, they're the comments that always, that always stick. It seems, you know, you can read 30 things about how people admire you or what a great job you're doing. And then one guy comes or one, one woman comes out and says something inappropriate to you. And that's one that's going to ruin your day. So it's usually a guy. It is usually a guy. Yeah. Thomas, now that you're 16, you're going to have a little more mobility and freedom. What are your plans for field work? I mean, yeah, definitely if when I learned to drive the I think the minimum driving age is like sixteen and I'm sixteen, so I could probably I mean I, I hope I'd start driving lessons after uh you know COVID nineteen. Uh yeah, I would love to just drive around in the woods and just look for stuff. I don't think a lot about the future. Like I don't know. I'm autistic, I have a lot of anxiety with some things, so like, you know, sometimes I struggle with some things but yeah i definitely love to 
to do more field work, like to go out more, to interview more people, which I've done lately, which is, in my opinion, I, I think is quite good. Yeah, because you don't hide the fact that you're autistic. It's like one of the first things you introduce yourself on your webpage, and it, which, which actually very much works in your favor in this field. Very organized and lists. <laughs> That's true. Autistic people do like making lists and organizing things. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, well, since you're open about that, I, mean, I think that's fantastic, first of all, because to, a lot of people think of it as something uh, of a, some sort of, you know, you know, like disease or like this, a debilitating situation. And, and, and it really isn't because uh, it's, it's not, I mean, I was an elementary school teacher, so I've worked with a lot of autistic people through the years. Um, some of my favorite students are were autistic. And, and, you know, it's just a matter of accommodating their, their learning styles, you know. Um, and But but what I think a lot of people don't realize it's not like a, an on or off switch. It's, it's not like you have it or you don't. It's a gradient. Um, so many people have it to various degrees. And some people are, you know, rather limited in their abilities because of it. Exactly. It's a spectrum. That's the word they actually use for it. So um, in some ways, this probably helped you. Can you shed some light on that? Yeah. I mean, cryptozoology and Bigfoot, all the th- all the sections on my superbugtom.com website uh, is really just random parts of my special interests, right? Or hyperfixations, right? Where I'm just specifically super focused on doing this one individual thing and with and it varies radically with a lot of autistic people like with some autistic people it's like you know cartoons or planes or entomology which you know i like entomology it has bug in my name uh it, it varies quite a lot and i'd say one of the perks of being autistic is being able to be that focused on things you're interested in of, although uh, one of the downsides is that's really hard to focus on things that I'm not interested in. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And luckily, you know, you're on the right team because uh, you're, you're super focused on the Bigfoot thing and you've been doing amazing work because of this. Yeah, but I, I think that, you, that that's another way um, that you're kind of like leading the charge in a way like you, you're an example for a lot of uh, people and young people in particular, but people in general. That's my thought on it, at least. But, you know, you're in, you're in the thick of it. So if you have any different thoughts, I'd love to hear it. I, I personally use the term disability in the sense because it, it does disable me from doing things, but I would also not use it in the sense of like, I can't function, I can't do a lot of things. Although, you know, there are some autistic people who are nonverbal, right? Like they can't talk or they can't do a lot of uh, things that most other people can do. But yeah, I, I usually use the term uh, disability, although I totally understand exactly what you're saying and I agree with you, yeah. Again, I think that you're you're a um, a model in a lot of ways for people who are interested in the subject, and particularly young people who are interested in the subject. Because I mean, how many sixteen year olds interested in Sasquatches and other cryptids that do you know that have their own website and are taking reports and and, and have a feature article written on them? Like uh, that, um, that article was fantastic, by the way. That where was that published so people can go read it? Uh, I think it was. Uh, let me just check. The journalist guy is uh, Sam Tweedle. Yeah, the article is called uh, Bigfoot Lives, Lakefield Teen Thomas Morgan is a Rising Star in the Field of Cryptozoology, which is a bit much, but, you know. <laughs> SamTweedle.com, and it was posted on September 9th, 2020. And you, if you go to their article, you can see pictures of Tom in his uh, man cave, it looks like. Um, footprint cast on the wall and all that sort of stuff and a nice long article um it's it's a really really good article and it really puts you in a good light and it's just something to really be proud of so that's good for you 
Well, there you go, Bobes. You can see why I wanted to have Thomas on the show. He he is really an, uh, an example for anybody who's interested in cryptozoology or Bigfoot or anything like that, and particularly young people, um, because he is meticulous in his research. He is a wealth of information. He's obviously very, very well read. So uh, I, I thought that he would be a great ad- and also you know I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an educator still you know I was an elementary school teacher for a long time and Thomas is older than that but um, I, I feel you know you got to we got to do something for the youth because none of us are going to last forever and if we don't pass on the knowledge and get young people interested in what we're doing then uh, perhaps the subject will die away so Thomas you you are all of those things and more man thank you so much for coming on Bigfoot and Beyond with Bobes and I thank you Thomas uh, I learned a thing or two too and. I just hate it when I talk to a kid that's, you know, drivers as a jet and they're smarter than me. <laughs> yeah. You love it. <laughs> well, all right, Thomas. Well, again, thank you so much for having, for, for coming on the show with us. And uh, I'm looking forward to next time we can hang out in person. Okay. Bye. Right, bye. See you, Thomas. Well, there you go, Bubs. It's funny. He goes, my memory's not that good. And he starts rattling off these tribal names and locations. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't remember any of those names. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he talk about a smart guy, man. Like the, like we, we keep we keep calling him a kid, and I, I guess that's because you know we're we're old men now. But like, uh, what what a smart guy! It gives me great hope for the future of our subject. You know? Oh yeah, for sure. There's there's got to be more kids like him too. You know that we we're just not aware, but that are. I mean, I get I get I actually get quite a few kids that write to me, but they're uh, really young, usually like ten, eight. And from running into people on the streets, I know there's a lot of kids interested his age, but I don't think any of them are taken to the level he is. No, I think Thomas is going to be one of these guys that's speaking at conferences and whatnot in like 10, 20, 30 years or heck, in two years um, with the amount of his. Yeah, he could totally do it doing it now, really. Yeah, he could do it right now. Although He's several better. several hundred page PowerPoints might want, might want to be shaved down a little <laughs> bit, I suppose. <laughs> but enthusiasm is enthusiasm, you know? So yeah. Well, I, I was stoked on that one. I was thinking the lift. And I was like, I should just copy and paste some of these uh, presentations he's got. For, I could use it myself. Oh, yeah. To flow him a little cash, you can make your presentations. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Bubs. Well, I think, I think that was a good episode. Um, do you want to take us home? Yeah, okay. That was a good one. And hey, for uh, you parents out there that listen, this is a good episode for your kids to listen to. So turn it on. You know, if you got any nephews or nieces or neighbor kids that are interested in this kind of thing, have them listen to Thomas. They could be inspired. Yeah, you can find us on all the podcast platforms. Our home is Revolver. But yeah, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. So until then, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 